Hello, this is Jim Clarkin. Welcome to my podcast. When my mother said jump. According to my sisters, no Gemini should ever contemplate giving birth to a Pisces. Thankfully, my mother ignored this advice, in the way she ignores most advice. Not that her choices, many of which brought permanent frowns to the faces of the tut-tutting classes, seem to have done her any real harm. As a result of such independent thinking, she failed to consult with an astrologer before being so feckless as to conceive me. I'm also fairly certain that she failed to consume folic acid as part of the baby-having procedure. Folic acid was not in fashion back then. The harvesting of amniotic fluids would also have seemed barbarous science fiction to her generation. Scans unnecessary, and as to the discovering of the sex of the child before it was born, that would have only ruined the surprise. Remember, those were the times when naming a child before it was born was considered tempting fate. So, she had a Pisces, poor thing, at least according to my sisters. Whether this is true sympathy for my mother or some sort of accusation leveled against me, I cannot say. Suffice it to say that according to them, it completely explains my mother's relationship with me. What this is, is impossible to say. But according to my astrology-hooked sisters, the relationship is fraught with confusion and misunderstanding. This may be so. But if it is, I explain it to myself as a generational gap or personality differences. My sisters think otherwise. They tell me that we are merely actors in some Greek play. Comedy or tragedy they never say. Mostly, I ignore such talk, but sometimes I have cause to pause and wonder. For instance, when my mother asked me to jump from an aeroplane, just what had she in mind? She had never, herself, expressed any desire to leap from a plane at 5,000 feet and allow gravity do its worst. What was this about? Had the stars turned her against me? Was the moon holding water? Was Neptune up to no good? Perhaps Mars had turned even redder than usual. This turn of events left me baffled. My male role model, my father, was afraid of heights, enclosed spaces, being buried alive, and gardening, least it ruined his golf swing. This may make him sound like a wuss, but he was no wuss, so long as his feet were firmly on low-lying ground and nobody was nailing him into a coffin while there was still breath in his body. However, he was generous with his neurosis, sharing them with anyone who would listen. Maybe because of this, I fancied that I too suffered from a fear of heights. Whatever the reason, when my mother went on a charity drive and asked me to jump from an airplane for whatever cause she was supporting, I said yes. My theory being that by facing my fears, they would retreat to the sidelines and be less of a nuisance to me. It is all very well to sit on a bar stool and indulge such a theory. But to turn up on a cold spring morning as sheep are being herded off the runway tests one's resolve. Seeing a minibus hook jump leads to a light aircraft did not help my confidence. However, money had been raised for a good cause. It was important to follow through on my promise. There were also friends who had also been persuaded to jump. There would have been no end to the slagging if I turned and ran away now. 
I would like to say that the reason I was feeling fragile as 15 first-time jumpers huddled together in a cold shed was the early hour. However, that is not true. My confidence was low. These were solo jumps. We were not going to be conjoined with the instructor. We were going to have to find our own way down, though gravity was going to help. As our instructor pointed out, when he stood before us and said, This is an adventure sport. People die doing it. Anybody who wants to leave, do so now. Heads turned. Frightened eyes scanned the room for people brave enough to leave. But we were all cowards, more willing to jump from a small aircraft than to look small in our friends' eyes. We then had a twenty-minute talk about being splattered on tarmac, having our legs broken, what to do if the parachute failed to open, and how to open our emergency chutes, if necessary. Fifteen sets of ears listened, and some brains may have absorbed the information. However, having teaching experience, I would imagine that at least five of those present heard nothing above the What the hell am I doing here? voices clamoring in their heads. You may wonder why I was still willing to go through with the jump, aside from the shame of dropping out. The answer is that everyone I knew who had parachuted from a plane had survived uninjured. In other words, the technology was proven. I also remembered an evening spent with a one-armed golfer as he reminisced about being in a parachute regiment during the Second World War. His scariest jump, he told me, was from a balloon basket. It was a straight fall, as opposed to jumping from an airplane at 100 miles an hour, which means that you are moving 100 miles sideways as gravity takes hold of you and begins to pull you down. The balloon jump was even worse, he believed, than a nighttime leap into the darkness. Based on his opinions, I would be pumping less adrenaline than if jumping from a basket. Eventually, after learning how not to break a leg when landing, how not to castrate myself with a parachute harness by tightening the straps correctly, the instructor pulled me aside for the hand inspection. Hand might be overstating things. Hook would be more accurate. He asked me to raise my hands to see if the hook was high enough to catch the toggles which steer the parachute. We agreed that the hook was up to the job. Soon, myself and other lucky souls were watching the first batch of jumpers huddle together in the aircraft. Finally, the plane was fully loaded with scared novice jumpers. Our instructor issued last-minute orders and was about to join his students when Confusion arose in the ranks. People spilled from the plane, and a protesting would-be parachutist crawled from the bowels of the aircraft. White-faced, he removed his helmet and handed it to the instructor, who immediately turned and gave it to me. Likewise, I was handed the main chute, along with the emergency one, and, with no time to think, slipped into the harness and tightened up the straps. I had no time to consider whether Saturn had gone retrograde in this young man's chart, or if the stars had decided that, like a final destination victim, it was my time to die horribly for cheating death some time before. Whatever the reason, it was time to jump. The plane would, no doubt, have been comfortable enough 
if it had passenger seats or a door. Aside from the pilot, nobody got a seat. No doubt a lesson Ryanair could learn from. Perched against the doorframe, the instructor sitting on my feet to keep me from falling out, I watched sheep droppings fly into the air as the plane raced towards the hedge at the end of the field. My imagination was dwelling on fireballs, my mind caught by the instruction shouted at the parachutist sitting beside the pilot to not touch the pedals, which were only inches from his feet. All I could think of as my shoulder dug into the doorframe were size twelve boots pawing at the controls, keeping us on the ground just a second too long. Oddly enough, at this stage, I thought it would be safer to jump from the plane at 5,000 feet than to stay on board for the landing. There are things no novice jumper is ever prepared for as they take that leap of faith. The silence, for one. Then the view. When you look down, everything is flat, two-dimensional, disorientating. You feel lost. You find yourself asking, where is that big X you were told to aim for? Then you find it. The chances of you landing near it are slim, but there is a feeling of triumph at having found it. The odds that you should land on the same field, they are in your favour. It is a big field, but then again. Then you spot the 20,000 volt power lines beneath you. It is time to panic. You frantically pull a toggle, and instead of turning in a different direction, you become a human spinning top. So you ease off the toggle and you drift away from the cables, only to find yourself about to straddle a barbed wire fence. If a harness can damage you, digging into your crotch, what can a barbed wire fence do? It is far tougher than nylon, and sharper too. Scenes flash behind your eyes, an accident and emergency ward feature in your imminent future. You imagine young nurses eyeing your crotch. They are wide-eyed, inspecting the damage, both horrified and fascinated in equal measure. Even as your imagination is getting high on hospital smells, your parachute training kicks in. By now, you have learned how to use the toggles so you miss the fence by a few yards and land safely in the wrong field. But you are finally down. Your legs appear to work, even if they are weak. You stand up, look around, mutter a few prayers of thanks to yourself, and wonder if the pubs are open. I arrived home a little later than expected and right on the legal drink-driving limit. They were much more generous back then. This was okay, because Pisces are known to like their drink, and as for my Gemini mother, she had barely time to say hello when I returned, before heading straight out herself. It was only later that my sisters told me that she had rung them and wondered where I had gotten to. The sun had gone down, after all, and only the foolhardiest would parachute in the dark. It was reassuring to learn that no matter what way the stars aligned, my mother may have wondered at the folly of throwing her Pisces son from a plane. As for my phobias, I still have a problem with heights. But that's probably just vertigo.